0: I was thinking about this week, how could I bless the moms? And one of the thoughts that came to my mind is, what if I gave every mom in our church a day at the spa? Oh yeah, I thought that would get somebody's attention. Then I did the math. (laughs) Turns out silver and gold have I none. You know, so Peter said that. He was on the, going on the in Acts chapter 3 up to the temple called, uh, gate called Beautiful at the temple to pray. And there was a man crippled from birth. And he reached out expecting to get some money. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that guy got up and walked. So listen, today, I, I don't have a day at the spa to give you. But my goal is to see moms set free. And not just moms, but everybody here who finds themselves in bondage to anything, I believe the Holy Spirit very simply wants to set people free. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 13. We're gonna dive right into this text. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, a story about a woman who was bound. Let's read her story. Verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there, who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now get the context here. Uh, it, it says here that it was on the Sabbath. In the text, it's going to say five different times it was the Sabbath. So the fact that it's Sabbath is, is very, very important to the meaning of the story. Jesus is in the synagogue. He hasn't, if you read the Gospel of Luke, he hasn't been in another synagogue since before he started on the road to Jerusalem in chapter 9. He hasn't been in a synagogue since chapter 9. And he's not going to be in a synagogue again till the end of the story. This is the story that's the last time Jesus is in a synagogue. And this woman is there. We aren't given her name, which means you've been around New Life for a while. If you're reading the Gospels and there's somebody with no name, they're faceless, you're supposed to put your face there. You be her. That's why Luke writes it this way. He doesn't give you the name, it's an invitation for you to identify with her and encounter Jesus yourself. And she's crippled. The text says, by a spirit, for 18 years. And the text says that she is bent over. Actually, the Greek text is, is even more. In fact, the ESV translates it, I think, doubled over or bent double. So it's not just like she's leaning forward. She's bent all the way over. You read the commentaries, they debate over what she had, where she has this extreme form of arthritis. Did she have kind of some spinal thing? And it's almost laughable because that totally misses the point. The point is, she had a spirit, the King James says, a spirit of infirmity, and it was because of Satan that she's bent over. That's what the text says. When we get there in just a moment, you'll see Jesus actually attributing it to Satan. So don't read this too quickly. Imagine what this would be like. Be this lady for just a moment. What would it be like to live your life bent over? People stare. In that culture, people assume that you've committed some terrible sin and you're bent over for a reason. And kids laugh at you and make jokes and you can't look anybody in the eye because you're bent all the way over. And people don't know how to make conversation with you. I mean, do they say something? Do they not say something? You know, you feel like an embarrassment to anybody that you're around. Linda Jeffrey wrote in her book, uh, Comfort and Joy, talking about this text and about this woman. She says, can you see her ugly twisted body probably leaning on the supports of the outer court? Her hair is matted from neglect. Her spine is contorted like a palm tree in a hurricane. After all those years, which to her seemed like an entire lifetime, she must have been used to people looking away as she drug her maimed body into hearing range of the now famous teacher. Can you see her? Yeah, one of the other things uh, about being bent over when you're down like this is when you're walking with downcast size, you only see the ground. So just be her for a second. She's acquainted with the dirt of life, with the filth of life. That's what she saw all the time. What we take for granted, she missed like blue skies and birds and, and, and rainbows and sunsets. It wasn't the way her creator designed her, but a spirit of infirmity had bent her over, twisted her literally, blocked her, controlled what she saw. Now here's what I know. There are a lot of people here today who really aren't that different from this lady. The truth be known, you are bent over. It may be a spirit of infirmity that has bent you over, maybe, and controls what you see. It may not be physical deformity. It may be something like, Something like anger controls you, and you live a very frustrated life, and you don't want to be an angry person. You just are, and what happens is uncontrolled anger will twist you. It will bend you over, or maybe it's a hurt you experienced in the past, and and, and rather than forgive and release, you have instead embraced bitterness. Let me tell you something. Bitterness will twist you like nothing else. It'll bend you over for years. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's you have dreams that are shattered and and you're disappointed. Disappointment will do that. Addictions will do that. You know, we we think we look to substances that were going to make us better or more us, but really all addictions do is make us less us. They twist us. Maybe it's abuse that you experienced in your past and you didn't choose it. But it binds you, it controls you, it twists you into something else. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're like this woman. You've been there for a long time. 18 years, the text says. Now, 18 years goes really quick when you're raising your kids. (laughs) Right? I got one getting married. I'm like, last Thursday, he was complaining about having a spelling test. (laughs) What? I have a spelling test tomorrow? Yes, every Friday, there's a spelling test. (laughs) that feels like last Thursday 18 years goes quick when you're raising your kids but let me tell you something when you're bent it's a lifetime and Luke tells us it was 18 years not one time but two times why I think he's trying to make a point it is never too late and you are never too bound for Jesus to set you free and if you're here today and that's how you're feeling listen I've been I've been this way Tim for a long time it's never too late and you can never be so bent that Jesus can't stand you up straight. Right. So let's look at the text again. Luke chapter 13, again, back to verse 12. When Jesus saw her, first thing I want you to see in the text here is that Jesus sees get the picture here, Uh, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, probably surrounded by the men on the inside. There's some debate about how first century um, uh, synagogues worked, all right, but but probably, most probably, the the, the men are on the inside, the women are on the outside, And, and Jesus sees over the crowd, he sees over the group of insiders to a woman on the outside, because Jesus saw things that other people didn't see. In the the Bible, it says that Jesus saw their faith. It says he saw children. He said, let the children come to me. And, And it's especially interesting that in the Gospels, multiple times, it says Jesus saw women, especially in Luke's Gospel. There's an example in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is coming into town to name, and there's a funeral, uh, and this young man has died. He is the only son of a mother who is a widow, which means she's going to be socially ostracized, right? She has no one to provide for her. She has no man, which in our culture is very, you know, like, whoa, hey, don't say that. That's not how it was back then. Back then, if you had no man, you were going to be destitute, and Jesus sees her, and he raises the son. And the text says in Luke 7, verse 15, Jesus gave him back to his mother. See, the the son got raised from the dead, but the mother got healed. She got restored. Why? Because Jesus saw her. Jesus was remarkably compassionate towards women. He empowered women. Luke 8 says that he had followers who were women. Jesus never overlooked women. John chapter 19, he's taking care of his mom from the cross which makes my excuse of, hey, Mom, I'm kind of busy, sound pretty shallow, from the cross. He's taking care of his mom. And what's fascinating to me, as as we get to this text and Jesus sees, he's he's looking over the crowd, he sees this woman shuffling along maybe, and, and he calls her out. What's fascinating to me is we aren't told anything in this text that would commend her to Jesus. Like, we're we're not told about her pedigree. We're not told about her credentials. We're not not told she deserved to have Jesus do this. Nobody, it doesn't say, listen, she taught Sunday school for 37 years and tithed every week and and, and was in life group, you know, and and brought snacks for everybody. None of that. Nothing to commend her to us at all. Except for the fact that she's there. She was there. Listen, she decided no matter how embarrassing it was, how physically difficult it might be, she was going to get in the presence of where God was doing something. (laughs) How hard would that be? I, I think this is a strong woman. I mean, how hard was it? If you're bent over, all the way over, to get to the synagogue. Listen, never judge a woman by what she looks like on the outside. She's probably stronger than she looks. And she just decided, I'm going to show up. I'm going to, I'm going to show up on that. I'm going to get to the place where God does stuff. And she gets in the vicinity and Jesus sees her. Right. Now, to, to, all the, to all the moms, that's the biggest thing you can do as a mom is show up. That's what you do, right? That's right. That's Every day, moms show up. Maybe one person said, motherhood isn't a temporary affliction. It's a lifelong calling. Right. You show up. That's one of the... Biggest issues with mothering is you can mother your kids, but then they're going to need mothering five minutes from now. Because you do it, but you got to keep on doing One mother said, and I quote, The joy of motherhood is what a woman experiences when all the children are finally in bed. <laughs> but I want all the moms to hear me right now. Jesus sees you. He sees all your work, the the food you cook, the clothes you launder, the the NTI you navigate during COVID, the miles you drive to school and soccer and dance when those are back, and and all the times you've been the family psychologist. And in in addition to all of that, the job you're working outside the home too. He sees all the times that you've been taken for granted and you felt invisible because Jesus sees the invisible. And for those of you who aren't mothers here, he sees your situation. He sees whatever it is that has you bent over. And sometimes we try to hide that stuff, don't we? This woman, she couldn't hide the fact that she was bent over. But Jesus saw the physical, but he saw beyond the physical that there was a spirit of infirmity. And sometimes we try to hide the fact we're bent over and if we can't hide the fact that we're bent over, we try to hide the reason for why we're bent over. But Jesus sees. Now I would apply that in two ways. Number one, he sees you. Mom, those of you who aren't mom, he sees your situation. There's an incredible story in Genesis 16. Of all the mothers in the Bible who were abused and mistreated, Hagar would have to be right at the front. I mean, mistreated. She's pregnant. She runs for her life. She goes out to, this is Genesis 16, she goes out into the desert. She's near a stream, and the text will say, verse 7 or so, and the angel of the Lord found her there. Because listen, even if you're in a desert this morning, the Lord can find you. And he finds her there and he gives, there's this great prophecy of what's going to happen with Ishmael. And then it's great and disturbing both. Um, And and then she says, verse 13, she gave a name to the Lord. She named the Lord. What did she name him? You are the God who sees me. Oh, you need to know God is the God who sees you. This is the God who sees me. So the first thing God does, is he, Jesus does, he sees. Let's go back to the text, verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward. And that's the second thing. Jesus not only sees, he calls. See, he doesn't just see her. Don't miss the significance of this. Jesus, he's teaching, right? He's teaching, he's got the guys around him, he's teaching, and he stops. And he takes this crippled, Tormented woman from the outside and brings her inside. He, he brings her into the community because he wants to do more than just phys- physically heal her. He wants to restore her life. See, here's the thing about a spirit of infirmity. It not only takes your physical health, it takes shalom. Your, your well-being. Your, shalom is peace. It's well-being. It's, 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 it's a fullness, a completeness, an abundance of life. And so Jesus wants to not only stand her up straight, but he wants to bring her back into the community. And all the eyes are on the lady. I mean, can you imagine? What What, what if today, what if while I'm preaching here, you know, I just, I just yelled at somebody out in the, in the atrium. Don't, don't, I'm not talking to anybody specifically in the atrium. This is illustration only, please. Uh, if I said, hey, come in here. And the doors open and, 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 and a lady bent all the way over. Comes down the aisle. And we're all watching her. And obviously, she can't w- run. She can't even walk fast. She's just shuffling. And what do you think she's thinking? And she's saying, "Why? Why is he calling me? What? You know what? You know why? What? Do you think some fears came out? Do you think maybe hope? Came? You think hope started to build in her? You think maybe she started shuffling a little bit faster?" And notice, when Jesus calls her in, he doesn't ask her about the disease. And he doesn't judge her for being bent over. (laughs) He doesn't say, what is wrong with you? Don't you know the people of God aren't supposed to be bent over? He doesn't do that. (laughs) And she doesn't even ask to be healed. She just, Jesus initiates the relationship. and, And look what's happening here. Jesus is calling her to himself. And listen, that's what he's doing for you today. He's calling you to himself, whether you ask for it or not. You say, well, well, I, don't, I didn't do anything to deserve it. Probably not. But you're here. You showed up. You're watching online. You're here in the, this morning. He sees you, that you're bound. He sees that you're outside, and he's calling you to come inside. He's calling you to himself. Why? Because not only does Jesus see and Jesus call, but third and finally, Jesus sets free. I mean, it's great that he sees us. It's great that he calls us to himself. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Jesus sets free. Look at verse 12 again. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. The King James says, woman, thou art loosed. I preached this sex one time and somebody afterwards said, I thought T.D. Jakes said that. I'm like, no, he wrote a book about that. He, play, he got that from Jesus. Which for the record, it, plagiarism of the Bible is encouraged in preaching. Like what I'm supposed to do is tell you what the Bible says. That's sort of the job of feeding the sheep. So that wasn't, T.D. Jakes got that from Jesus. Woman, thou art loosed. Then, verses 13, watch this. Then he put his hands on her. you, you, you got to be in the first century. you got to be in that culture. Most likely, this is the first time she's felt the warmth of human touch in 18 years. Appropriate, godly touch. What would that feel like? Man, you know, just going through COVID and, and, you know, that was a while there where nobody hugged anybody. Well, we weren't supposed to. But y'all couldn't help yourselves. (laughs) Just appropriate human touch. 18 years. Jesus touches her. He says, you're free. And immediately she straightened up and praised God. One word, one touch from the master, and immediately the spirit that had bound her, that had bent her was gone. And for the first time in 18 years, she stood up straight. She looked a human being in the eye. Hasn't happened in 18 years. And the first person she looks in the eye is Jesus. Can you imagine? And she praised God. I guess so. Man, imagine, hey, listen, you know what happens sometimes? We get so used to reading the Bible that we get, we're, we're, we're actually, um, it, it, it doesn't shock us anymore. Like sometimes we can do, because you are, some of you are, you, well, most of you have read this story before. You already know she's going to be set free. And so sometimes, because we know that's coming, it's like, it doesn't tear us up. What do you think it was like for her? 18 years, nobody touched her. 18 years, she's been looking at the dirt and then the master calls her. He sees her, calls her, puts his hands on her and says, you are free and she stands up straight. (laughs) What if that was you? you? You might do more than sit in the chair and say, amen, pastor. She said, running out of this. <laughs> Absolutely. So you think in the story, that's it, that's it's over. Everybody's excited, right? I mean, we'd all be happy if somebody here was crippled and, and when they got laid hands on and boom and they started running, right? We would be like Cue up the choir again. Bring the kid. Like, we let's roll with this. So it must be everybody was happy, right? Wrong. Verse 14, indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. I don't know why I do that in a like drill sergeant voice, but it feels appropriate. Look, this woman just got healed 18 years, 18 years. She just got healed, and and this religious leader, the synagogue ruler, who's responsible for maintaining order in the service, doesn't say, hey, well, that's really wonderful. Praise God. Well, let's get back to the service. Oh, no. He rebuked. He can't control Jesus, so he speaks to the crowd. He can control them. He's been doing it for years. And he rebukes the crowd. Like, they did anything. Like, the crowd is just like, I was just standing here. Don't miss the irony. Luke, Luke, Luke is writing it this way on purpose. There's irony here. She was bent over and now she stands up straight and now the synagogue ruler's been out of shape. Verse 15, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead him out to give him water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? When he said all of this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was saying. See, all right, Here's what's happening. You, you don't miss this. The synagogue leader is publicly challenging Jesus' authority as a teacher by rebuking the crowd and therefore is reasserting himself as the authorized interpreter of Scripture. See what he's doing, by appealing to Sabbath law he is saying in essence it is more important to who we are as the people of God that we follow the rules of Sabbath than it is to set people free. Sabbath is what defines us as the people of God. We follow the rules. That's who we are. This woman's situation wasn't life-threatening, could have waited till tomorrow. And Don't miss what's going on here. This is about more than the Sabbath. This is about who gets to say what God's will is and what should define us. This is about authority. And Jesus is happy to talk about authority. He's, he's happy to talk about what ought to happen. What ought to happen is this woman, this daughter of Abraham, ought to be set free from Satan's bondage on the Sabbath. And he argues from lesser to greater. If you do it for a donkey, then how much more for a daughter of Abraham? And by the way, so that nobody emails me mean, nasty emails, Jesus is not comparing her to a donkey. He is saying, if you would do it for an animal bound for a few hours, why wouldn't you do it for a woman bound for 18 years? And Jesus is saying, you guys have totally missed God's purpose. Therefore, you don't interpret the scriptures correctly. In other words, and please, this is very, very important to all of us here. You have missed God's heart. Therefore, you have misinterpreted God's word. That's what Jesus is saying. And and before before you condemn and judge very easily the synagogue ruler, it's a warning to us. Listen, we got to be very careful because it would be easy for us to become the synagogue ruler. To miss God's heart, to redeem, to miss God's heart, to heal. He wants to bring all of creation, every single, it's not his will that any should perish, but all come to repentance. That's the heart of God. And if you miss his heart, you'll misinterpret his word so that for some people, the thing that has them bent over is religion. I mean, Jesus is saying categorically in this story, it's God's will to set you free. I mean, the, the main interpretive strategy that I have in my life is everything in the Bible leads us to Jesus. Jesus is the supreme revelation of what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 28, I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. John 14, 31, I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. John fourteen nine: anyone who has seen me, has seen the Father. In other words, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father's will. And in this text, he demonstrates that God's will is to set you free. Paul made it even more explicit in Galatians chapter 5. And by the way, side note here, just commercial, uh, in the summer, we're going to go through Galatians verse by verse starting in June. And we're going to walk right through it. And God is going to show us some stuff about the gospel and about freedom that I think maybe you might not have ever seen before. It's going to be intense. We have a new policy this summer. No weenies. It's all, every sermon is all, okay. That's side note, but here's what Paul, Paul is affirming what Jesus says. He says, Galatians 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. (laughs) This is one of the clearest, most refreshing statements of Jesus' will for our lives. Sometimes we, we debate that, like, does Jesus want me to do this? Does he want me to do this? Here's what he wants you to do. Stand firm in the freedom he won for you. John Piper writing about that verse says this, this is the will of God for you, your freedom, uncompromising, unrelenting, indomitable freedom. For this Christ died, for this he rose, for this he sent his spirit. There is nothing he wills with more intensity under the glory of his own name than this, your freedom. Wow. God's will is to set you free from what you have what has bent you over, whatever it is, and, and, and for some of you it it is a sin that has entangled you like 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 an addiction, and it's bent you and it's twisted you over for for some it, it's hurts in your past it, it's bitterness, it's unforgiveness and, and maybe for I read this article this week about mom guilt, is what they called it now i you know. I've always felt kind of weird on Father's Day. I love Mother's Day to be able to honor my wife and honor my mom and honor you ladies um, here. And I love that. But Father's Day is kind of hard for me because I kind of remember all the times I I wasn't that great a dad, honestly. And Satan, you know who he is? He's the accuser of the brethren. He's like really good at this. I can't say very many nice things about Satan, but he is good at being accuser. And, 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 and on Father's Day, I, I really stri- I just want Father's Day to be over. It's not, I love honoring my father. I have a good father. I, I love him. I, I love blessing him and honoring him. But I just kind of want Father's Day to be over. You know what I read? There's some moms that feel that way too. I read that this week about mom guilt is what they called it. And it just occurred to me, if there's somebody here you're wrestling with, with mom guilt, I want you to know God's heart for you is Freedom. Earlier in Luke, when when Jesus was in the synagogue another time, this is before he was on the road to Jerusalem, on the Sabbath, he sat down, they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, this is Luke chapter 4, he opens it up and he says, this is what my ministry is about. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The ministry of Jesus was to set people free and he wants to set you free here today. And you may be saying, well, you know, I haven't done anything, you know, I haven't been good enough. He sees you. He calls you. And he sets free. Not, Not because you're good enough. You know why? Grace. I think all of us would pass the theological test that we're saved by grace. But do you know what? It's the same way you walk in the faith. It's by grace. There's a clue of that. Some of you are thinking, where do you get that? Well, there's a clue in the phrase, daughter of Abraham. Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham. Now In the period, what's called the, here's a long word for you, uh, intertestamental period, which is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that phrase, daughter of Abraham, was used a lot. In the second century or so BC, there was a family called the Maccabees, and the Maccabees led the people of Israel uh, to fight against Antiochus Epiphanes, they actually had freedom for a while. Uh, The Maccabees, they were, you know, Judas the Hammer, it was the main leader, one of the brothers, like... Four or five brothers, I forget how many, I think it was five brothers that led, you know, led them to victory. Um, and, and in the, the stories about this, this isn't in the Bible, this is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, there's, there's historical books called the Maccabees. And in 4th Maccabees, don't worry, they're short chapters. There, 4th Maccabees, chapter 15, there's a story about a lady who gets designated a daughter of Abraham. But the only reason she does it is because she shows heroic faith in the face of martyrdom. And this, don't read 4th Maccabees today, it's raining right now. Only read 4th Maccabees if the sun is shining and you're feeling good and it's not Mother's Day. Because the story is, this woman was told, you renounce the God of Israel, or she had seven children, or we're going to kill your kids. And she refused to renounce Yahweh as the God of everything, and they killed her kids one by one. Oldest to youngest. She watched it all. And because of that, she gets the moniker, daughter of Abraham. Now compare that to this lady here. She hasn't done anything. And in fact, she's bent over. I mean, bound by Satan for 18 years. And yet Jesus sees her, calls her, and I think with a smile, he says, this daughter of Abraham. I wish there were emojis in the Bible because there are times when I think Jesus is smiling and we don't see it. I think he was like, you know, like in distinction to the attitude of the synagogue ruler. I think Jesus is going, shouldn't this daughter of Abraham be set free? Here's what I want you to hear in that. Jesus does not define her by what cripples her. Jesus defines her by who she is in God. Her identity is not bondage by Satan. Her identity is daughter. And I want you to know, you are not defined by what has you bent over. Whatever the infirmity may be, that is not who you are. And Satan may come and he will lie to you and he will say, well, you're bent over. That's just who you are. You can say, oh, no, no, no. That might be my posture right now, but my identity is daughter. Big difference between posture and identity. And by the way, I showed up today. I'm in the presence of the master. I'm about to ready to stand up straight. Listen, moms, I don't have carnations to give you this morning. If I did, they'd be pretty today. They'd be gone tomorrow. I got something better. Oh, I got something better for you this Mother's Day. Something more beautiful, more powerful, longer lasting. The best thing I can give you today is to remind you that you are a daughter. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a daughter, and the Father's heart is to set you free. And the greatest gift, moms, that you could give anybody else, I know it's Mother's Day, we talk about giving you gifts, but I know how moms are. You're thinking about giving gifts to your husband, to your children. The greatest gift you could possibly give your husband, your children, your grandchildren, is to live in this freedom. And teach this freedom to your kids. Oh, the greatest gift you could give us is just be free like Jesus made you. Let's finish the text. We got to finish the text. Verse 18. Some of you think that the text is already over. It wasn't. Verse 18. Then Jesus asked, and by the way, that's the NIV says Jesus asked. And the reason this is part of the same story, even though maybe your English translation divides it up, if you're looking at your Bibles and you're like, this is a whole different story. No, it's not. Because in Greek it says, therefore. Therefore. Which means what he's about to say is related to what just happened with this woman. Therefore, I think the ESV even says that, if I'm not mistaken. What is the kingdom of God like? What will I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast, that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked its way all through the dough. Now what in the world does that have to do with anything about this woman getting set free? Well, it does have something to do with it and it's deep and it's profound. He gives two parables, a mustard seed and yeast. And the meaning of both parables is the same. Something that seemed insignificant at first and tiny. A little bitty mustard seed. Just a little bit of Yeast. Can become something far greater that feeds far more people. Here's Jesus' point. This little act of setting this woman free is the kind of kingdom thing that can affect the whole world. We don't know her name. We never hear of her again. We don't know anything. But Jesus said that one little thing, just setting one woman free. Is the kind of kingdom thing that could change the whole world. So moms hear this, the best gift you can give your kids on this Mother's Day is to respond to the call of Jesus and let him set you free from what cripples you. And when you do that, it's like a tiny mustard seed. It's like like a little yeast. It's going to grow. It's going to work its way all through the dough of your whole family. That little yeast is going to work through your whole family and it's going to feed more people than you ever dreamed. One more illustration, and then I'll be done. Unless I'm not. Look, I've been reading the I'm I'm 50, I'm almost 50 years old. Mom doesn't like it when I say that. I'm 50. She's like, you're not 50 yet. Okay. It's true. Um and I've devoted my life to reading the scriptures and knowing the scriptures and teaching the scriptures. And yet. After all these years, I open the Bible. I see new stuff all the time. You know why? Because you will never plumb the depths of the word of God. It's always deeper than what you know right now. There's always more the spirit of God can show to you out of his word. So this week I saw something I would never seen before. And I'm going to tell it to you and some of you are going to go, really? We already knew that. Okay. Get off my back. All right. But this is the first time I saw it. At the end of the book of Romans... Chapter 16, I'm reading along, and and, and Paul's kind of doing his concluding things. And he says this, listen to this, Romans 16, 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Here's a woman, we don't know her name, who mothered the Apostle Paul. Now, here's what's interesting. If you read at the end of the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark written probably in Rome, to Christians in Rome suffering persecution. It's the quickest, fastest gospel. It, 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 for a lot of reasons, I don't want to go into all the details, but it's probably written in Rome, to Christians in Rome. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, it says Jesus was carrying the cross and the Romans forced a guy named Simon who was from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, that only works if the people you're writing to know who Rufus is. It's kind of like if somebody said, you know, Carol Parrish, you know, Tim and Paul's dad. Well, it only works if you know Tim or Paul. So when he writes, he says, Simon from Cyrene, you, you know, Alexander and Rufus's dad. And he's in Rome. Now, Paul later is writing to the Romans in Rome, and he says, greet Rufus, probably We don't know this 100%, but probably the same Rufus. And his mother, who was a mother who has been a mother to me. Now Here's why I'm pointing this out. We don't know this woman's name. She made it into the Bible. I'm thinking, this is beyond me. We don't know her name. She changed the world let me tell you something. Heaven knows her name. And there's a lot of moms here. You think nobody sees, nobody knows your name. I'm going to tell you something. Heaven knows your name. Heaven knows your name. God sees. She, what she did may have seemed like a little thing, but she mothered the apostle Paul and he changed through the power of the spirit, changed the world. And that's, What's going on here? Listen, by mothering people, your own kids and others that who aren't maybe even your kids, but you just, you just step in as a kind of a surrogate mother for them. When you do that, it might seem like a small thing, but Jesus says, this is how it is in the kingdom. A little mustard seed, a little yeast, it works its way through the whole dough and it affects the whole world. If you're, if you're a mother here today, you can impact your kids, you can impact other people's kids and it's going to seem small, but it can change the world. You just respond, Jesus sees, Jesus calls, and Jesus sets free.